Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here. What a fantastic venue to talk about enterprise transformation. Lots of drama in this room. Um, my name is John Brigden. I'm general manager of AWS Managed Services. Uh, we're part of AWS Customer Enablement Services, and that includes our training and certification team, our ProServe team, enterprise support, AWS IQ, and of course, our wonderful partners, expansive network of certified partners. And we're all here to help you, our customers, transform your businesses. We have deep subject matter expertise and capabilities. And our goal is to try to help you focus on your differentiated outcomes in business in this transformation. And let us help you, off, you know, offload the important but undifferentiated aspects of that work. With me today are two of our customers, um, Steve Day from National Australia Bank, uh, one of the top 20 financial services companies in the world today. He's going to talk about their two-year uh, two journey, transformational journey, and talk about their culture of innovation that he's setting up there. And uh, Simon Hornby is going to join, join us from Thomson Reuters, one of the lead, leading global media and information companies in the world today, uh, actually established in 1851. And they're now on an accelerated transformation in the face of data center eviction. So we got a lot to talk about today, so let's get started. Digital transformation has never been more critical than it is today. The risk of disruption is increasing at, a, at an incredible pace. There's a recent study that came out from InnoSight that said that the global uh, S&P 500 public companies um, had a lifespan of 33 years that is in rapid decline, and by 2027 is expected to be just 12 years. Think about that. Fortune 500 companies, 12-year lifespan. A recent McKinsey study found that nine out of 10 companies agree that their industries, that their companies are in the, in the process of being disrupted. And yet only one in six of them felt they had a bold enough strategy to be successful in that transformation. Now, we've been working with thousands of companies over the last 10 years, uh, conducting their digital transformation and moving to the cloud. And we looked at the empirical data to try to understand what, what are these companies doing? What are, some of the, uh, what are some of the indicias of success as they make this transformation? And one of the things that we noticed is that what they're doing, at least the outcome of their, of their impact, is that they're increasing the pace of change in their environment. They're increasing the pace in which they're iterating on their product or service. And they're doing that in very fundamental ways. First thing they're doing is they're moving from monolithic um, monolithic and large uh, domain specialist functional organizations to smaller teams aligned, aligned by the customer outcomes that they're driving. They're moving from a waterfall approach and orchestrating complex organization structures to align on a project maybe one or two years down the road, and they're moving to an agile process. Effectively, what they're doing is they're managing their risk through minimizing change, and they're moving to adopting change and iteration at a rapid pace as a fundamental capability. You know, I've been in the technology business for, gosh, a long time, and uh, I can remember sitting in a room in large companies and um, enterprises, you know, believing we were, we were doing best practices, 
uh, working on large functional teams on a project release that was a year or two out, we'd spend 30 to 40 to 50% of our time just orchestrating to make sure that we were all in sync with one another. Well, the world has changed. Some of the signs that we notice that companies that are successfully driving the transformation is that they're organized in loosely coupled teams, many more teams of much smaller size with cross-functional discipline and capabilities. As I mentioned, they're releasing their product at a much more rapid pace. They have a much faster lead time than before, moving from conception to deployment. They have a faster mean time to recovery uh, on a major scale. Of course, automation is used throughout, and they have a 5x lower failure rate. If you look at Amazon.com, that's a good example of some of the progress that we've, that we've made at Amazon. Not too long ago, we were releasing new capabilities to our digital platform, maybe once, once a day. Uh, and we, we also had large teams uh, uh, set up functionally. Over the past 10 years, though, we've broken those teams down. We have now hundreds, if not thousands, of small teams aligned to their customer and their outcome. And they're pushing meaningful releases 15,000 times every day uh, seamlessly with a much lower failure rate and a much better resiliency and uh, availability. Now, as I mentioned, driving a digital transformation can be hard. You know, Andy mentioned in his keynote uh, yesterday that uh, you gotta have executive support, you have to have a mandate. You're gonna hear from a couple of our customers today and you can really see the, the executive support and the mandate that they have. But there are challenges, even, even with a mandate, even with that support, right? Most companies today have a cloud-first strategy, right? 88% in this study. And yet, one of the challenges they have, they're burdened with enormous technical debt. Most of their budget, most of the work they're doing is keeping the lights on, KTLO. They're, they've got legacy processes, they've got um, you know, uh, legacy uh, ways of doing business, operating models, um, and, it's, and it's getting in the way, and it can get in the way, and they're gonna need help uh, in dealing with that technical debt. We also hear, there's a study here from PwC, but I think it's pretty well known that skills can be, the people skills in organizations can be the biggest challenge to transformation. Um, getting the right skills, retaining the right skills, attracting the right skills, reskilling the people you need to help you drive that transformation. In addition to uh, technical debt and getting the right skills, there's, there's other challenges too. There's the challenge that the business is, is moving at an ever-fasting pace, keeping up with those business demands. You can't just skate to where the puck is. You gotta skate to where the puck is going, right? So you've gotta anticipate that the changes you're making as you move to the cloud and adopting new ways of working, that you're gonna be able to accelerate and keep pace with that demanding pace from the, from the lines of businesses. And lastly, operating models, right? The notion that you're gonna be able to conform everything you do into one operating model and meet the needs of the business, it's not realistic. You're gonna to have, to, to have to find ways to work in multiple operating models flexibly. It can't be the basis to say no to technology or disruption that you're gonna to need to be embracing to be successful. So as we thought about working with customers, it really comes down to two fundamental approaches that we think helps organizations move fast and successfully drive a digital transformation to the cloud. The first is really establishing a culture of innovation. Very intentional with the support, the alignment, the mandate, uh, and driving that culture of innovation. The second is around getting started right now, modernizing 
that massive technical debt, those applications, in a way that builds speed and momentum and frees resources. That's the only way you're gonna keep pace with this ever accelerating motion. Getting started in a way and getting that flywheel going. We'll talk more about that. Let's dive into a culture of innovation. There's really three pillars to a culture of innovation. The first is around your people, of course, right? Transitioning to an organization where the people are wrapped around the work, okay? Secondly, it's around leveraging mechanisms. This is just a fancy word for a process, right? But, but it's intentional. It's an intentional mechanism designed to create a repeatable or consistent um, outcome that's aligned with the customer outcome you're driving. We'll talk more about mechanisms and processes. And lastly, it's about architecture. You know, reInvent is a great place to see all these cool new capabilities, and you can imagine how those are gonna be used building new products and services. But what's equally important, or for many customers on a transformation, I would argue more important, it's your architectural plan for moving your existing applications to the cloud so that you can modernize them in a thoughtful process that accelerates the momentum of your architecture and your ability to drive differentiation. If you do those three things well, we believe you'll be effective at driving that culture of innovation. When we think about the work in particular, one of the ways we do this at Amazon is we think about wrapping the people around the work. And we do that, we do that in small teams with cross-functional skills. We call these teams two pizza teams. Because, because it's basically the number of people that can be fed by two pizzas. Depending on the size of the pizza and the size of the people, that can vary, but uh, roughly it's about 10 to 14 people that make up these two pizza teams. And the pizza teams are focused on very specific customer problems. They're working very scrappily. They are very independent. They're loosely coupled to other teams. And their job is to deliver customer success on the outcome that they own for that customer, whether it's an internal customer or an outside customer. Sally May is a great example of a, tran a transformational success story. Sally May is a financial services organization that just is in the middle of their transformation. They're completely out of their data centers in six months. And I think what they did best when I look at that transformation, and I'm really excited about it, is that they were able to maintain focus on their differentiation from the start all the way through the process. They had actually outsourced their technology. They went through an insourcing and a transformation, which is hard to do. And the way they did that is they leveraged the, our, our customer enablement services. They leveraged ProServe, they leveraged AMS, they leveraged uh, several of our partners in this transformation. When they migrated, they focused on making the fewest minimal changes to their application so they could capture the maximum amount of benefit in going to the cloud but their goal was to get the applications to the cloud quickly and out of their data center and close their data center. They did that in six months. Once they got those applications to the cloud, they leveraged us to help them operate those applications safely and securely in the cloud, building automations and capabilities for patch and DR, while they then rotated to modernizing those applications, breaking them down into microservices. And now they're focused on AI and ML and introducing new products. When we think about mechanisms, as I was saying, it's all about um, reimagining your processes when, you, when you're going through your transformation, right? You're gonna have to change those processes. Your old processes, bringing them forward could hamper you and get in the way. So how do you do that? The way we think about processes and mechanisms is really tying them to the outcome. What, 
what process is going to be, help us create a repeatable and a consistent outcome? A good example, again, is what we call a working backwards process at Amazon. And we call this a PRFAQ, which stands for a press release and a frequently asked questions. And what that means is before anyone starts building anything at Amazon, before you're, you're hiring an engineer or you're engaging anybody to start building anything, we've got to write a document. I've had to write several of these documents. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense. It's, it's a lot of work. You've got to imagine the problem you're solving and write the press release as if you're announcing and releasing a product today. What problem are you solving? You have to answer a bunch of frequently asked questions to really explain how you're going to solve it. And sometimes you might not know, but you have to get specific enough so that it's real and you can articulate the specific benefit and the undifferentiated uh, uh, capability that you're going to create to, to, um, to address that problem. These things get heavily edited and revised, and it's a forcing function before any funding gets done and applied to a team. This works well for Amazon. There may be a similar type of process or mechanism you can use to create an intentional outcome on something that's key to your transformation. Key performance indicators are a good trigger, a good trigger mechanism for those processes. So again, time processes to out, outputs or even inputs. Okay, so an output could be revenue, an output could be a customer satisfaction number, an input could be a customer adoption number, uh, another performance indicator on the input. Triggering on these KPIs within certain thresholds to lead to processes to help you uh, create a consistent and repeatable outcome in your business is a really key mechanism to successfully drive your transformation. Obviously, moving to an agile process is key. Most of our customers are doing that to take full leverage of the agility and elasticity of the, of the benefits the cloud brings you. Now, there's a customer, um, Guardian Life Insurance, that I believe did this really, really well. You know, they started their transformation. They're a 150-year-old company. They're all in on the cloud today. You know, they're now, they're now a deep technology company. But their focus was all on their people and their process, okay? How, how do they retrain and reskill and attract the right skills? And how do they put the right processes in place to make sure that they're, they're, they're shifting their mindset and how they're working in the cloud? You know, a lot of this is people and process, a lot. The technology stuff, believe it or not, is actually the easier side of the equation. And what Guardian, helped, what Guardian did, which was really cool, they... Um, they trained all of their developers deeply in the cloud. They then trained nearly half of their organization on Agile, over 2,500 people. They actually modernized their, their buildings and their facilities and created a really collaborative open environment. You know, now they're, they're all in the cloud, they're introducing new products and services, they're innovating, they think of themselves as a tech company in a lot of ways, they're competing in new ways of introducing new products, and they're able to attract uh, new, new skills and capabilities they weren't able to do in the past, and they're starting to increase their pace of product and service release. So the last, uh, the last key to successfully driving a culture of innovation is architecture. And I, as I mentioned, I think, I think you, all, you all agree with me that architecture is, is critical to building net new services and leveraging all the capabilities the cloud has to offer. The, the tricky piece to get right, in my opinion, is around how do you go about modernizing your, your applications today. How do you do that? How do you do that in an effective way? And one of the things that the cloud brings you is this unique capability is to get to the cloud, to start to operate in the cloud, and then to start to break down that problem and accelerate your modernization over time. So with that, 
I'd like to introduce Steve Day to join me out here from National Australia Bank to talk about their transformation journey. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, John. Wow. Thanks for coming. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about NAV and what you guys, what got you started on your journey. Sure, sure. So, National Australia Bank, uh, one of the big four banks in Australia, handles about 20% of the Australian economy. Um, so, so very significant in terms of size, about 35,000 employees and about 160 years old. So a really embedded culture um, about the, the organization. That's great. And, and what were some of the problems that you guys were looking at originally as you started to think about the cloud? Yeah, well, there was, uh, I think it was bigger than the cloud. There was this whole concept of being relevant to our customers. Um, being a 150 or 160 year old organization, we didn't change much, right? We hung on to processes far too long. We didn't think ahead of the curve. And as our customers started to change, we realized we had to change too. So we had actually outsourced most of our operations about 10 to 20 years ago uh, and lost all of our internal capability. So as the customer base started to move quickly to digital, we couldn't react. Um, and we went from over a period of only really 10 years of every customer coming into the branch to do their transactions to two-thirds of our customers never coming into the branch uh, to 98% of all of our transactions happening uh, over digital channels uh, and just a, a complete shift in how we interacted with our customers but we couldn't react quickly enough because we had sort of frozen ourselves in time with this very old outsourced model. And what were some of the challenges, Steve, that uh, you guys experienced on your transformation? Yeah, well, I think um, number one was, was being able to be relevant, uh, as I was mentioning, and, and be able to react uh, quickly. So making us look um, or making, making the problem look small to the team, whether it be migrating thousands of applications to the cloud, whether it be hiring literally thousands of people to replace our uh, outsourced uh, channels and bring talent back into the, the organization, uh, whether it be reorganizing and moving into the service team model that we, that we settled on, whether it be taking that old ITIL operational model and shifting it to DevOps, all of those things were, were massively difficult to comprehend to the team. It was like staring at a mountain and how am I going to move that mountain? So, um, you know, Andy said it really well in the, in the keynote yesterday when he talked about creating the imperative. And we created a whole lot of, of small bite-sized imperatives uh, and challenged the teams to, to move 50 applications. So we did the 50 and 50 application uh, that he was talking about, although we only really did 30. Um, and uh, challenging people to, to go and hire entire teams in a period of time or to migrate um, their organizational models within fixed amount of times. And by, by creating those bite-sized imperatives, we were able to really dig into those challenges. And, what, and uh, how did you handle the changes in the processes that you mentioned? How did you guys go about getting people to work differently? Yeah, well, that was uh, embedding the culture uh, is, is difficult. So number one, we had to bring in a, a, a culture of ownership. The outsourcing model had really created um, a culture of, you know, it's the outsourcer. If, if, if we had an incident, it was the outsourcer. It wasn't us. 
right? If everything's really expensive and really difficult, that's the outsourcer, right? It's not us. So we had to bring, we had to ch totally change that. And by creating that service team model, um, that really gave people a sense of ownership. It made them look at the, the particular services that they were responsible for like a small business. And that's how we framed it to them. You are a small business. This is your part of the business. You are responsible. Whether you use a third party to perform this or whether you do it internally, you are both responsible and accountable for getting the work done. So, um, you know, that was one of the, 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 the real challenges. Um, another challenge was keeping the bank safe, right? Um, as we made these massive amount of changes, both our board and our regulator were rightly very concerned about us keeping the bank safe. So we had to create a whole series of frameworks and uh, control mechanisms that allowed us to do this in a, in a really well-organized way, even though it was thousands of people involved, by bringing in uh, a new standard that we call CAST, which is our cloud adoption standards and techniques, uh, which had literally uh, hundreds of both controls, standards, which were the, what we wanted people to achieve and the technique was how we wanted them to achieve it. And by actually making sure that we couldn't migrate a single application to the cloud without having internal audit go right through this check and, and, and say, yes, you have actually uh, completed all of these things, so we will now let you move your application to the cloud. That was a real challenge. How did you keep everybody on board? How did you, get, how did you enlist the folks to, to go on the journey with you? Um, I think it was explaining the outcomes, right? Explaining the fact that we needed to be relevant. Uh, explaining the fact that our customers expect us to look and feel like an Apple or an Amazon or a, a Google or something. They don't expect us to look and, and feel like a bank of 10 years ago. So really giving that out there, this concept of the small business with the service teams, I yep. think that really um, got people on board. Right? That, that gave them a real sense of ownership. This is mine, I'm accountable. Uh, if, I, you know, if anything goes wrong, you know, it's my head on the block, rather than this is a big organization and there are plenty of people to blame. Another way we did it was take away a lot of the manual process. We, by, by automating a lot of things, even our service management, we, we automated the operational processes, um, the governance framework. You know, we created automated governance and we called them invisible guardrails that let people develop applications and, or, or perform operational processes without knowing that they were actually performing all of these checks. In the old world, there were people with clipboards that had to go around and do all this compliance and check everything. And of course, that's only relevant for the next day and a half before something changes in the environment. Uh, and it's insanely um, boring, right? People hated doing it, so quite often they didn't. Uh, our backups, our patching, again, automating those things. Uh, created an environment where people could actually get on and do the things that they were really interested in rather than all of these mundane tasks. And I think that was a, a massively motivating factor as well. That's great. And Steve, tell, tell us a little bit about the benefits and the outcomes that you guys have experienced through your journey. Yeah, well, I think uh, number one would be resilience. Uh, our customer impacting incidents are down 42% on last year. 
and that was down about 40% on the previous year. So this, as the transformation goes in and we automate more and we move things to cloud, which by its nature is a lot more resilient, you can architect to be a lot more resilient by re-architecting a lot of our applications so that they're loosely coupled and the blast radius is contained. We have really um, reduced the, the, like the impact of, uh, of incidents on our, on our customers. Um, I think the, uh, this, the agility has improved. So as we've automated a lot of things, uh, we have made it so that we can meet the needs of our customers in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, and by removing all of those manual processes, um, we've actually uh, improved the way we perform our governance, because it's automated. Um, we've been able to actually reduce our costs significantly as well, uh, just through the nature of of, um, of automation. Uh, and we just created a, a, a far more streamlined and relevant set of processes for people to, to work in every day. What kind of magnitude? I'm curious on the cost uh, savings are you looking at? Did you guys experience? Um, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. It, it's, it's really, it depends which part of the business you're talking at. So the insourcing in particular, that, when we turned that on its head, and we uh, brought a lot of these things in-house and automated, we're able to about half the size of the workforce. Um, and a lot of it was just because all the processes were old and the outsourcers really hadn't changed. They hadn't been motivated to change in yeah. 10 to 20 years. Uh, so that, that um, in itself created a massive saving. Um, and then, of course, just the, the cloud technologies, the elasticity, the, turn, the building the dev environment and turning it off when you're not using it. Um, all of those sorts of aspects also drove much better costs. Did you have any setbacks along the way? Oh yeah, we had, we had a lot. Um, you can't do something this big without setbacks. Um, we got a lot of things wrong, right? So uh, I think one of the things that really, really um, slowed us down was we tended to take a bit of a broad approach to everything when we started. You know, the, the new processes, DevOps, Agile, um, CICD, all these things were magic, right? And they would just solve all of our problems. And that actually turned out not to be the case, right? We found we actually had to go to this two-speed model where we, for applications that we'd written ourselves and, and, and put out there ourselves, DevOps, pipelines, work great. But for stuff we've bought um, off the shelf, yep. that model didn't work, right? So that's one where we had to actually invent this sort of um, more traditional uh, model of operations but with a lot of automation involved. So things like automated changes where we, we identified our top 50 changes and we, we automated them so that now it didn't involve change boards and people getting up at two in the morning to perform these changes and making mistakes which then led to incidents. Uh, this, this allowed us just to be a lot smoother. But in that first stage where we got that wrong, we actually created a lot of uh, impact to the business. What advice would you have for folks in the room that are embarking or about to embark on a, on a transformation of the scale that, that you guys accomplished? Yeah, I would say, number one, be pragmatic, right? So again, this, this model of, of one size fits all just doesn't apply in a, in a large enterprise. You need to actually look at the particular applications, the services, and how they're, how they're operated, what they're built on, how old they are, how um, how much inertia they have, uh, and then actually fit an operational model to that, rather than just doing this broad, broad stroke. I would say the imperative is, is a super important thing. Um, 
Because when you go into a transformation of this size and you're trying to completely change the bank, it just, it, it is a mountain. So creating these bite-sized imperatives is, is something that really worked for us and I would, I would recommend. What's next for, for the bank and your transformation? Well, it never ends, does it? I, I, I like the thought, you know, because everyone talks about their transformation and everyone's doing one, right? Is there anyone here that isn't doing a transformation right now? Um, everyone's always doing it because you, you have to change. We're, not, we're in a world where our customer base, and I think all of our customers collectively across the room, um, when, when your customers are changing so quickly, Right? As, we, as, we, as the whole world changes so quickly, if you're not transforming continually, you're, you're just not, you're, you're sitting still and your customers will continue to move. So, um, yeah, the, the, the whole concept of a transformation, I think we need a better name that doesn't have this <laughs> feeling of a beginning and an end. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Steve, so much. I really appreciate all that insight. You're okay. welcome. Good luck All right, so if I had a band here like Andy had, we'd be playing uh, Nirvana right now on the next topic, okay? Uh, the next theme to uh, driving successful transformation is about modernizing in a way to free resources, okay? Sounds too good to be true. Um, the concept here is, is a flywheel. And for those of you, uh, we call this the transformation flywheel. Those of you who understand the concept of flywheel, it's basically getting started, right? Getting started with a, with a, a process or a mechanism and capability. And then, and then as, you, as you continue to iterate through that process, uh, it builds speed. In our case, what we're talking about is building capability, building artifacts, real content, real IP, automations, things like that, patterns, um, and then accelerating through, accelerating through it uh, over and over again across many teams each of which may own a particular set of uh, applications or outcomes. So let me walk you through how, how, how this works. So we start uh, with the concept that the outcome we seek is not migration. The outcome we seek is production operations of our applications in the cloud. And we seek that, and that really is the outcome. We want it to be safe, secure, available, and then we want to be in a position to modernize it efficiently and build momentum from there. So let's start with migration. So we start small, maybe a handful of applications, probably not critical applications. We start by um, helping, helping a customer with landing zones, with patterns, with uh, in, ingestion tools and, and capabilities, tools that they can use to get quickly started in getting that application to the cloud. Once in the cloud, there's the opportunity to do some quick optimization, take advantage of some auto-scaling groups, turn things off and on, um, start to write automations for patching uh, or possibly DR. Uh, these are real, really important. Uh, this builds confidence, team starts to build skills, uh, you start putting points up on the board. Next, you, what you soon see is modernization. A migration factory also emerges because you're capturing all these learnings and the more you go through this, that migration factory becomes more efficient and more effective and a self-sustaining mechanism for you. And then you're in the modernization phase, which is where you're breaking down those monolithic applications into components and services, starting to use some cloud-native capabilities. And next thing you know, the team starts to think about new offerings, new capabilities. You might have created a data lake here. You might have applied some anal uh, uh, analytical capabilities. You might be using some of the SageMaker AIML capabilities at this point in time. Next thing you know, you're introducing new applications. 
Now imagine this flywheel, just one small team with five applications going through that curve. And even if it takes a whole year to get around that journey for those applications, it's still, it's still it, it, that by the time you get to the end, the next time through it's six months, the next time through is a month. And then you, and the thing takes off. And imagine the, the teams around your company all in the same flywheel at different paces, sharing some of the same content, some of the same learnings, but really owning and focusing on their outcomes, their applications, their microservices that they're delivering. So that's the concept of a transformation flywheel. And here to talk more about their transformation flywheel is uh, Simon Hornby from Thomson Reuters. Simon, join us. Hey, thanks, John. Great to be thanks, here. Thanks, Simon. Nice to have you here. So Simon, tell us a little bit about Thomson Reuters. So, well, first of all, um, Thomson Reuters is uh, the provider of trusted news and information uh, to uh, a number of, of different types of professionals. So, you know, the legal, the tax and accounting, uh, we've got media, we've got um, government and, and compliance. And, you know, as, you know, as, as a, an overall organization, we operate in over 100 countries. We've got nearly 30,000 employees um, and as a, uh, from our history perspective, we, we date back to, to Reuters in, in 1851. Um, and you know, from, from that perspective, the way that we distributed news back in 1851 was through carrier pigeons. So as we roll on 165 years, Thomson Reuters announced that they're going down a cloud-first strategy. Now, um, the cloud-first approach was all about refactoring applications. Um, it was a journey uh, that, that was going well. It was um, a transformation journey that would have taken an incredibly long time. And then in Q3 of, of 2018, Thomson Reuters divested uh, a rather large part of our business. It was a financial division. And with that, um, we got an opportunity to accelerate our cloud journey, not through refactoring, but through rehosting our applications. Um, the reason why we had to go down this path, you know, with divestitures, um, we, we really lost the data centers as part of this deal. So we had two years um, to, to get out of the data centers. And we really called this, you know, our eviction notice. Nice, nice. So help me understand it. Can you size the problem? I'll put a yeah. slide, some background here for you. Size the problem that you're talking about. Yeah. So, so, so the numbers are there for everyone to see. I'm going to put some, um, some flavor around these numbers. So the, the 411 applications, you know, it's, it's a larger number of applications that, that we're transforming. But it's not just that. These are in those 100 locations that we operate in. You know, the applications, you know, we went across the broad spectrum of our applications, of our application groups. They're in all corners of the world. So, so that made, you know, a real challenge to us as, a, as an organization to be able um, really to, to operate and create a program that, that would really handle that. So we've also, you know, from, from the number of um, assets that we had, you know, having 10,000 of the same assets would have been fine, right? But we didn't. You know, I think we're probably like every other organization out there where we had every single flavor of, of, of operating system. We had every single version of that flavor of operating system. We had 
operating systems that were coming up to end of service life, so we had to make a decision on that. Our databases, again, we had a very broad spectrum of our, of our database versions, flavors, from our database migration, we had, oh sorry, our data migration, you know, we had databases from five gigabytes to 25 terabytes. You know, with that, just different challenges, different patterns that were required in order for us to deliver our program. Now, we also had, um, you know, the way that Thomson Reuters has evolved, you know, through, mainly through acquisition, um, mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures, you know, with it, there's very different architectural challenges that, that we had as an organization. And, you know, and, and with that, you know, having seven globally dispersed data centers, what we found was that the approach that people had you know, around their resiliency model, um, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, would they, are they just located in EMEA, in, in APAC? Are they you know, every part of the globe? You know, these are all considerations that we had to think. And you know, last but not least, we had two years. And that really was the fundamental driver for the program. And, and for two reasons. First of all, it was, it was going to be eye-wateringly expensive if we were going to extend past the two years in terms of the, the, the transitional services agreement. But there was also, and this was what the, the part I really loved, that we had an incentive program to accelerate, to get out early. So the, the program that we created really did have that focus on speed of execution so that we could start you know, saving some money. That's great. And, uh, and tell me a little bit about, I know you had some principles and key tenants as you guys started mm. on this transformation. Tell me a little bit about that. So, yeah, and again, with, with, a, uh, with a, a program the size that, that we had, the, the key here was to be able to put some governance around the program, but to be able to devolve a lot of the responsibility into, into the application teams, because we were never gonna do this by controlling it in the center and, and, and driving it in that way. And so we, we created a number of, I think we call them guardrails, but they were, they were pretty critical to us. Just with the nature of our business, we had to have absolute, um, absolute focus on our service. You know, our customers were not willing for us to drop our service level, to drop our guard during this migration to them we caused this, so we had to behave and we had to operate in the right manner as we went through this, this transition. But also, there was you know, absolutely no compromise on security. And, and that was absolutely critical to us. It was very critical to our, to our security group as well. But we needed to maintain you know, that confidence that the application groups and our customers had in the way that we were, were operating. And then finally, which I, started at the, uh, which I started with, that it was a cloud-first strategy. We were not going to move all this footprint into, um, into more data centers when we had this opportunity to, to move into the cloud. So, I mean, obviously a massive project, massive scale, a lot of people involved, mm -hmm. lots of moving parts. What were the challenges that you guys encountered? Yeah, so, so two major challenges that I'll touch on. I know, I know there's a number up there, but the, the key ones for, for us, um, first of all, you know, how we deliver the program. You know, we were never gonna be able to do this by you know, almost like a monolithic type waterfall program. It just, it just wasn't gonna work. You know, we needed 
to be more agile. I know we use that term a lot, but we really needed, you know, as, as an example, we had um, you know, 30 plus patterns that we needed to create as part of this program. So, you know, our application teams didn't want to wait until all 30 patterns had been created. They wanted the, the, like the minimal viable product so that they could start coding, they could start building their application. So, that, so we could almost unlock some velocity. So the, so the teams would get going, but they also needed that confidence that we're iterating so that by you know, the time they're going into production, that, these that, that the, the pattern was fully baked, it was ready, it, was, you know, it had the service wrapper around it. And, and you know, so, so that's really how, how we operated for that. Now, the second um, area that, that is really important for, for us was around the cultural shift. So we, we had groups within Thomson, and we do still have groups within Thomson Reuters, that are just very different in their skill set that they have. So you've got the data center, um, centric operations teams and, and application teams to, to the people, to the teams who are just rolling out refactoring applications at will. And what we needed to do because we decided on a, a rehost strategy was to try and bring the groups together, right? So there was compromises on both sides, but we, but we brought the teams together, you know, so that they would deliver. And, and the key here was migrate first, transform later, right? And we kept reiterating that because we just were not going to be in a position to refactor 400 applications in two years. And I just don't know what organization would be able to because the, the, on top of this, there is prioritization within every business. You know, they can say this is the number one priority, but there's stuff on top of it that, that just gets in the way and starts you know, changing people's focus. So th those were the two the challenges that, that I would like to raise. So as we look at some of the kind of numbers on your, pro, on your progress today, I know you guys aren't complete yet, but uh, you know, what do these numbers tell you and, and how do you gain confidence from where you are today in your transformation? It almost feels like my report card. <laughs> um, so the, the decision to, to use AMS was, was absolutely clear in the fact that we were wanted as an organization, as a program, to focus 100% on our application migrations. We did, not we did not want to be able to be in a position where we had to migrate our tools and processes. And, and you know, as, as an organization, you know, we, and I don't think we'll be dissimilar to, to others, other large enterprises out there, you know, we had over 170 tools, processes, procedures that, that we would have had to have made a decision, which ones are gonna go to the cloud, which ones do we not need, do we long line them for other locations, and then AMS came, and, uh, and I think it was this time last year where a, a group um, met, probably with yeah. yourself, John, and it, was, it really was um, <laughs> that opportunity for us to be able to, to hand that off, in, 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 a, in essence, to, to AMS. And, so, so going to, to, to this view that we have, and, and the, the yellow line shows, you know, the manual tasks that, that are, or the manual changes that are carried out within, within AMS. But the blue is, shows us the, the, the automated uh, changes. And, and this is the, to me, really just represents how the program has gone. So we started off slow. Um, the change was, you know, naturally just the, probably quite low down. Um, we were, I think we've worked it out, it was about 68% was automated change. But when, but what happens, and you get into this journey, 
that you move forward. And, and with AMS, you, you're partnering to build up um, the automation. So to the point now where I think you know, we've got 10 times the level of change. That's reflective of where we are as a program. Right? But we're also at 98% automated. And that's required. So just you know, for, I think the last two weekends, we've done 38 cutovers. Right? We would not have been able to do three cutovers right, if we didn't have this level of automation. And we're always taking it for granted now. This automation is happening. You know, the, it's, I don't know. There's no drama. right? And it's, and it's important that you know, as, as, as you're going through this journey, um, in terms of rehosting, in terms of AMS, it, it's hard work. It doesn't start you know, perfectly. You know that you have to iterate. Um, you have to partner as an organization um, with AMS, with ProServe, and, and we use ProServe very well on this, to create that model that would take us to, to where we are today. And you had many partners, too, involved in that. Yeah, with multiple partners involved. Great. So tell us a little bit about uh, the benefits, learnings, and outcomes yep. uh, with your transformation. So going back to, to the delivery model that I said earlier, the, um, the, the trajectory when we were probably three or four months in was really not where we wanted to be. And the, the piece that, that we looked at, and, and again, this was with partnering, and, and we were very inclusive to, to make sure that you know, the, the model that we developed was the right model. And, and you know, we failed a few times. And, and we failed fast a few times, and we kept moving, we kept changing the model, and it was the right thing to do. And then eventually we, we got to, to an approach, and, and we, I think we, we brought in a number of key principles uh, to this um, agile delivery model, which was um, that we would fix forward versus rolling back. Right? So even if you know, things aren't going quite well, we would stick with it. Right? We'd also... With, we felt that our decision making was taking too long, so you know, with that we started you know time boxing our decisions. Really simple things, but they really put some focus and governance and, and controls on, on our program. And you know, and then finally, and we, we developed um, a, um, a sort of like a, a model um, where we brought face you know people face to face to workshops, and, and it was about getting the best use of people's time. So, that, so people are coming together. We had people from AMS. We had people from, you know, experts from within um, ProServe. Um, we had all the experts from, um, from, a, from around, the, um, around the organization who would come together with very aggressive targets. Right? And, and we would go in, and, and they, it was an amazing experience because these teams would really feed off each other. They'd worked together for maybe 15 years on the phone. These, these email requests were going all the way around the globe and coming back, please verify, and then it would go round again. And, and just been bringing people together. There's a cost to an organization, there's a cost to a program, but it's, it's a cost worth taking. And, and that really unlocked the, the velocity for, for Thomson Reuters. And, and like you say, we're in a position now where, you know, the acceleration has happened. You know, we're 60% of the way through um, our, our migration cutovers. We are going to be in a position where we finish the program early, which I don't think we would have even got close to thinking about probably in January. I think at that point, I think it was, let's finish it. <laughs> so. 
again. Thank you so much, Simon. I really appreciate that. Hey, Tell no. us that story and that journey. Hey, Good luck you. on finishing that hey. program. Thank you. Okay, see if I can bring this home with you guys. So, so you know, when you think about a transformational journey uh, of your business, and you think about the challenges that you're facing, the conversation that Andy had yesterday on main stage about having that mandate, that commitment, and then just getting started and iterating. I mean, that really is a theme that we've seen across thousands of customers that have done this successfully. It's really building that culture of innovation, uh, getting the right people, organize the problem the right way, thinking about your processes focused on the outcomes, and thinking about leveraging your architecture, not just to address net new uh, applications, but how are you gonna modernize the applications to really get your technical debt under control, and, and then reskilling the people uh, and your teams in a fun way, in an exciting way, uh, is, uh, is definitely a key part of what we see with success. And then modernizing your applications in a way that starts small and then accelerates and captures the learnings in a way that can be shared uh, independent, or can be shared across independent teams working loosely coupled, but very quickly and moving at a pace that fits their application and their customer set. We believe these are the answers to help you successfully drive your transformation. And as I said, uh, AWS's customer enablement teams are here to help you. Our training and certification team are really good at helping you skill your team. They work with partners to get scale and breadth, and they've got all sorts of programs and capabilities to help you drive training, education, and certification into your organization. Our professional services team and, and through our extended partners that they work with can give you advisory services, migration capabilities, modernization plans, uh, and innovation plans. They're very good at that and can help you move very quickly. Obviously, I'm the GM for uh, managed services at AMS. We're here to help you operate your applications once they're in the cloud so that you can focus on your differentiated aspects to modernize those applications and move and drive innovation and move at a pace um, um, and leveraging our best practices on security, some of the basic operation capabilities and driving automation. Uh, AWS IQ is a third-party marketplace of deep subject matter expertise that you can tap into. And obviously our APN network of certified partners is one of the largest uh, networks in the world today. Deep uh, certification capabilities across AWS, across all of these factors, leveraging all these services to help you uh, be successful in your transformations. So I guess I got two calls to action for you as, uh, as you're at reInvent. This is a great time for it. Uh, first thing I'd ask you to do is take a look at our cloud readiness assessment. It's a simple form that you complete, and we process that information, taking insights from all the best practices and capabilities, and we bring back to you a report and a plan as to a recommendation on how you might drive a migration and modernization plan within your enterprise. If you want to go a lot faster, break some glass, learn by experience, we have a 50 and 50 program. You heard Steve talk about that. Even, uh, even Simon was leveraging that plan, which is how can we help you with your team, with, your, with, with our partners, um, move 50 applications uh, in 50 days into production in the cloud and operate them for you. We have found incredible outcomes and in, uh, acceler acceleration benefits with customers on both of these programs. Hopefully these will help you. So with that, thank you so much for your time today. I hope this was helpful for you. Please take a look at the survey. Give us your feedback. Really interested in learning more from you. Thank you so much.